chapter seven of natalie page this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. natalie page by katherine haviland taylor chapter seven real excitement if the bracelet had not been gone i would have thought i imagined everything of the afternoon before but when morning light and a real search revealed no trace of it i believed i had been followed and had heard those footsteps drawing closer and closer to me as i ran and it did not make me comfortable i wondered what to do all morning and after reflection decided not to speak of it to my cousin's aunt or uncle my uncle i had met the night before he had just come in from a business trip for somehow i knew they would not believe it and i didn't want them to laugh my uncle archie has a great big stomach and says huh if anyone speaks to him which they don't often he eats a great deal and tells ito to hurry up he said something about bills to aunt penelope they don't seem to be very congenial but he can talk for i heard him at the telephone sold it to-day he simply yelled then fools i'll teach em i'll the and he simply spluttered it was becoming interesting when aunt penelope said ito closed the door and of course when ito did the rest was lost i was sorry but amy only looked bored evelyn after having tea with us had gone out to a dinner dance aunt penelope at tea told the other women what a great treat it was to have evelyn at home she did it a great many times and it almost seemed as if she wanted them to know that evelyn went out a great deal although why she didn't say it outright if she did want them to know i don't see but that's the way a great many people in new york act they sort of sidle around back of the truth and shout around it about the weather which i think is silly well to get on after dinner amy and i sat i never have done so much sitting as i have done since coming to new york the chairs in davenports are so luxurious they just must be sat on or curled up in amy and i each have our pet armchair and way of sitting in it but this is beside the subject i found that amy had never done any hazing and she was much interested in my accounts of it i told her how we had had a secret society called the ancient and effervescent order of yellow pups and how we made the new members get down on all fours and chew at a ham-bone and she honestly giggled and then i told her how willie jepson had filled his aunt's bedroom slippers full of tar and she was interested in that and a description of how his aunt acted when she slipped her feet in the slippers you see she was still half asleep and sort of blinky the way you are in the morning who would we haze she asked i suggested evelyn and not alone because i wanted to but because i thought she honestly needed it i decided it would do wonders for her character how would we do it amy next asked and i suggested the cold bottle trick which is simple but satisfactory you take a bottle and fill it with cold water the colder the better and if you can get ice in it that adds a great deal then you tie a ribbon around the cork awfully tight and pin the other end of the ribbon to the bottom of the mattress and the bottle then in place and at the foot of some dear friend's bed awaits when their feet hit it 
they naturally reach down and pull and when they do it it uncorks and the puller wades and i can tell you it is one thing to wade in the babbling brook and another to wade in an ostermoor willie jepson put green paint in the bottle he put in his brother's bed and his brother looked like the first note of spring for weeks but we decided that wouldn't do for evelyn because the sort of stockings she wears show the colour of her skin amy said people would comment on it if her ankles were green and i believed it we could blame it on jane said amy i didn't think that was fair until she explained it seems jane is exceptional because she is willing to be a parlour-maid and help aunt penelope dress too which combination is not often found mother wouldn't think of dismissing her said amy so that would be all right i agreed then amy told me that they were bitterly poor and lived like paupers and my chin did drop and she went on to say that her mother encouraged her father to make money all the time but that he didn't make nearly all that they really needed now that evelyn was out and had to have about sixty costumes to the minute i just listened it was the only thing to do but i thought too and i decided that it is bad to want things so much and that it is especially easy for a girl to do and so it is well to guard against it here was my cousin evelyn with this lovely home and simply beautiful clothes wanting more and fretting because she can't have them and my aunt hurrying my uncle so that he hasn't time or energy left to do anything but eat and say huh when he's at home and amy being sorry for herself because she hasn't all the pretty things that her wealthiest friend has and i saw that wanting was just a habit and a bad one i said i think it would be a fine thing for you to take account of stock amy and count all the lovely things you have maybe you'd feel better but she said i haven't time i'm too busy thinking of the things i haven't and the whole trouble lay right there well as i said we talked a lot played the victrola a little and then we got a long-necked mint sauce bottle from the cook and fixed evelyn's bed and then we turned in or as miss hooker would say retired and i thought as i always do about uncle frank and bradley dear and the cranes willie jepson and baseball but i went to sleep feeling less badly than i had the night before for i felt confident that the bracelet would come back to me and somehow mr kempwood had made me less afraid and home seemed nearer evelyn found that bottle and never heard such a noise she said someone was trying to murder her and every one got up except amy and me we giggled until aunt penelope came in and said does either of you know anything about this amy had come over in my bed and then amy said maybe jane did it but her mother didn't seem convinced she only said i will attend to you too in the morning and she said it sternly when she went out we giggled some more it was impossible to help for evelyn's room is near ours and we could hear her gasp and threaten to sit up all night and then sort of hiccup and say she thought she was getting hysterics and that she hoped her mother would beat me and we could hear aunt penelope and jane flop around and bells ring and hot drinks ordered and all because evelyn's feet were a little wet which was irrational since she puts them in the tub at least once every day but as uncle archie said to me much later there is no reasoning with a woman and there is a lot in that statement we giggled until aunt penelope returned when we pretended to be asleep i hoped the way we looked in sleep would soften her but it didn't i was in disgrace until about seven the next evening but that comes later the next morning i will pass over hurriedly as it was not pleasant aunt talked to us frankly and amy put the blame on me where it belonged but i would have liked her better if she'd let me step forward and take it as i intended to you know it was your fault she said after we went out of her mother's room 
i said i knew it was well she said you needn't be annoyed because i said so i wasn't annoyed i was sorry that she was so poor a sport but i wasn't angry i pitied her i think you always feel sorry for a person when they don't play the best game they can because amy had failed to stick to fair rules i didn't care so much for her that day and i suppose because she dimly felt that she failed she avoided me so after lunch i asked aunt if i might go walking she said yes if i was careful not to get lost adding that she would rather not have me leave the immediate neighbourhood i said i wouldn't and then i started out i put on the tam again because it sticks and doesn't have to have pins and then mr kempwood said it was becoming i will acknowledge that that influenced me a little after i'd walked around several blocks and seen nothing but the same sort of houses and pavements and babies all with nurses i turned toward the jumel mansion and again the people who take care of it were kind to me and i enjoyed my visit and i learned some more about the place it seemed the french merchant stephen jumel did not build it but roger morris then loyal servant of the king built it for his wife seven years after they were married before she became mrs morris she was mary philippe's nicknamed the charming polly he built it well and strongly which was fortunate since it was to have so many inmates and so much wear when you think of it a house that was put up in seventeen sixty five and seventeen sixty six would have to be splendidly made to stand the years the charming polly must have been indeed charming for her descendants say that washington who was just before her marriage a man of twenty-five offered her his hand and name but from the look of things it would not seem so for a friend of washington's joseph chu wrote him that captain roger morris who was a ladies man always something to say was breakfasting often with mistress philippe's and that the town talk tovet as a sure and settled affair and he added an urgent appeal for washington to return as he was sure charming mistress polly must prefer washington to all others but perhaps washington had found another charming somebody for the letter of july brought no visit from washington until late one winter's eve when the descendants of mary philippe say he arrived post-haste and demanded an interview immediate notwithstanding that the hour was late however whether or not it was more than a flirtation or a light admiration it does seem strange does it not that washington should direct his army from the house that his rival built for the much admired and talked of mistress polly philippe's mary philippe's and captain morris were married in seventeen fifty eight they had four children two boys and two girls if i recall correctly what i was told and when general washington took command at cambridge they had been married for seventeen years now to me there is something unsatisfactory about a man who doesn't take sides and captain morris didn't in fact the builder of that lovely house evaded siding with either the british or the united states at the time of the revolution and one day while the mails were being taken aboard the harriet packet he quietly slipped aboard with john watts who with roger morris was a member of his majesty's council for this province together they sailed for england and captain morris remained abroad for almost two years and unhappy years they were too for he was homesick for the big white house his lovely wife and children and i can understand the first although no one who hadn't lived in it would think that uncle frank's house was lovely rumour states that captain roger morris took rooms in london town so to be nearer the mails of the ships that his wife's letters would come to him without delay and can you see him waiting for those wanting them and looking for the crosses that his girls and boys wrote at the bottom of the letter i'm sure they were there perhaps his little list girl wrote or my dearest father whom i do so greatly love dear kisses and of course one of every 
doubled s was written like an f for that is the way they did it in that time can you see it the little girl in quaint long frock painfully writing out a message while her mother looked on and wondered whether the dearest father would ever reach home the letters he wrote her were lovely but i didn't see those that day mr kempwood showed me those after he began to teach me to see history for history he says is not a dead thing although it is about dead people all you have to do is to remember that they lived just as we do and to shut your eyes not to think dates most important and to remember those people as living and he taught me to do that but that comes later well after i had learned quite a little bit about the morrises and had felt ever so glad that he did get back the man who had so kindly told me these things had to leave me and i was alone i wandered over to stand before madame jumel's portrait and here i leaned forward and whispered to her and i said won't you please return it my mother wore it won't you please and then i went out and turned toward home i saw the blind man again but no one followed me i went up in the elevator with mr kempwood and i was so glad any more home runs he asked i shook my head and how does new york please you he asked further and to that i replied that it was all right but made an involved living since my aunt insisted on my changing my clothes all the way through every day and eating in a different dress at night i said it was simpler at home where you dressed for dinner when you got up i told him it left you more time for fishing and baseball and the more serious things of life he laughed and then looked suspicious young woman he said that country bloom doesn't hide a brain picker does it and i didn't understand him then but he explained it seemed that robert louis stevenson had lived on an island in the pacific and when someone had asked whether they dressed for dinner he had said just as i did no we dress when we get up i said i hadn't quoted and that i hadn't read stevenson liking alger best of anyone but mr kempwood said that treasure island couldn't be beaten and that he'd loan it to me and then i found out what he meant by brain picker he meant someone who pikes evelyn reads book covers and reviews and then talks of the books as if she'd read them i told mr kempwood so he said she wouldn't thank me for doing so and then it was our floor and again he stepped out waited until jane opened the door and then said good-night and i remembered his smile as i had the night before on a long hall table i found a letter from bradley dear and i was so glad to see it and it made me laugh but felt ever so tight in my throat too here's what she wrote or some of it dear natalie we miss you fierce willie jepson run a nail in his foot and fell off a the back roof don't you climb no fences at your aunt's or ride a cow if they keep one your uncle is deep in bugs and has a mess of them in my tubs with netting over the top and the lord knows when i will get the wash to soak we miss you there was a lot more bradley dear had been fine about writing the news i went to my room with it sat down and then got up and went over to amy's for my radiator had cooled off and i didn't know how to turn it on it was not easy for me to ask servants to do things then i had not learned how well i read that letter a great many times and there was no one to interrupt me and i was glad every one but evelyn was out and she was lying down somewhere i heard a clock strike seven and realized they would soon be in that i must begin to change my clothes for dinner i heard a little noise in my room a little scratching noise and i got up and looked in but no one was there then i heard a noise in amy's room but going back there i found that empty i turned on all the lights and read bradley dear's letter again i felt curiously nervous and oppressed quite as if i were breathing something poisonous and my heart began to pump i thought i was simply letting myself be silly from nervousness you silly thing i said scornfully and i read the end of mrs bradley's letter it said now dearie i must stop i love you and i pray god for your safety and happiness and then yours sincerely mrs g m bradley 
it helped me a lot that about loving and praying i looked at it and then i did hear something there was a step behind me and a voice a high-pitched voice said very slowly do not turn you will be sorry if you turn do not turn i didn't i couldn't i was absolutely frozen i felt something drop over my face and then things began to swim and grow black i think i struggled a little and tried to scream but i am not sure of anything but horror and the horror i felt at that moment will live in my soul until i am an old old woman and am allowed to forget all the things that hurt me and to have another start End of chapter seven